All right, well, good morning, everyone. My subject today is the second coming of Christ and prophetic events, part two. Now, I have to apologize up front. Um, I have a lot of material, and some of it is deep. And I don't want to lose anyone, and I'm going to try to pick up the pace and try to take you through this. Um, it's been a great study for me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you will too. Uh, before we get started, let's just bow and ask God's help. Father, we come to you today, and we thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you have a plan for the ages, and that you have left us your holy word, we thank you that each one of us today hold in our hands the Bible, which is the truth of God, and you have revealed to us incredible truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, speak to our hearts, Lord, and I just pray that you would meet us where we are. Each one of us have different needs, and we're struggling with different things, but we just pray that as we open the scriptures today, you would encourage us, guide us, and lead us. And most of all, honor your son in this presentation, we ask in his worthy and precious name, amen. We are going to start our journey at the Mount of Olives. And um, hopefully that screen's going to come up here in a second. There you go. I want to take you back to the place where the Lord Jesus Christ taught some incredible ministry. Great truth, great teaching as he unfolded for us the plan of God for the ages. It was two days before the crucifixion when Jesus gave this truth. And the disciples have gathered. They're at the top of the Mount of Olives, right about where this spot is, where this picture was taken. And they ask him this question. When will these things be? When will you be coming back to the earth? And what shall be the signs of your coming? And from those two questions, Jesus unfolded some amazing truth, the plan of God for the ages. And just by way of summary, uh, the last time that I spoke on this, you will remember that we spoke particularly about the character of that time. What will the last days be like? What will it be when, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth? And you'll probably remember that Jesus made it very clear it would be a time of departure. It would be a time of destruction. It'd be a time of deception. Many antichrists will rise up and there will be false religions and there will be false Christian religions. Under the name of Christianity, there will be antichrists and there will be a great time of deception. And many will depart from truth and there will be much deception. And so in light of that, Jesus made this incredible point that for us as believers, number one, we should not be deceived. Number two, we should not be taken unawares. 
And it shouldn't surprise us when we see all these things happening. And so we as believers should be marked by discernment. That's really what I spoke about the last time that we looked at this passage. Today, I really would like to go through the chronological sequence of prophetic events as I see them unfold in Scripture. Now, you might ask, what is the purpose of studying eschatology, the study of end times? Well, why do we even do it? There's a lot of differences of opinion, and is it really profitable? I'm going to give you three or four reasons why I've thoroughly enjoyed this study and why I think it's, it's good for all of us to look at this. Number one, it causes us to worship. When we see that God Almighty has an incredible plan for the ages, and in his infinite wisdom, he has revealed to us what will happen in the end times. Number two, we can study this for the purpose of not being deceived. Jesus made that very clear. He said, when you see all these things happening, remember, I told you that this would happen. So you're not deceived. Number three, it, it rejoices my heart when I think of the incredible evil that's happening in the world today. It rejoices my heart when I know that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will reign. Righteousness will reign. Evil will be destroyed. Satanic powers will be put down. And Christ will be all in all. And I'm looking forward to that day. But ultimately, Peter gives us a really good reason why we should study prophetic events. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, seeing you know all these things are coming to pass, you ought to live a holy life in godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Those are several really good reasons why we should study end times and have our hearts uh, blessed by it. Now, what I'm going to be presenting to you today is dispensational theology. And we're going to be looking at the chronological sequence of events uh, under the, the dispensational lens of prophecy. And I recognize that not everybody sees end times the same way. And scholars, much greater than myself, have got differences of opinion, and I respect that, so I'm not dogmatic. But the more I read the scriptures, and the more I study this truth, the more I am personally convinced that the dispensational theology is the most accurate interpretation of prophetic events in scripture. And so I'm going to present that to you and I would like you to study this for yourself and look at these scriptures that we look at and be like the Bereans. If this is not the word of God, then study it and look at it and test it according to the scriptures. Uh, I just want to show you quickly an overview of the chronological sequence of events as I see them. So if you can see this chart here, I know there's a lot on it. Um, we are currently on this chart somewhere about right there. Israel has been reestablished as a nation in 1948, and 
The next step of prophetic events that is going to take place, I believe, is the rapture of the church. This is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, when the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven and he will come to the clouds. He will actually not come to the earth at that time. And he will shout, and all that are in Christ, that have believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, will be caught up, snatched away. And those that have died in Christ will be raised. And we will meet the Lord in the air, and we will go into the Father's house. Now what's going to happen when we are in the Father's house? I believe what's going to happen is during this time of the tribulation of seven years, we are going to experience the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, you can read about it. And I believe that there will be rewards for faithfulness to Christ during that time. And then I believe there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is really the reception of the bride that is given to Christ, the church. And there will be a celebration. Not everybody sees this the same way, but I think that's going to happen in heaven. And then I believe what's going to happen is the Lord Jesus is going to come out of heaven with his saints. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that he's coming out of heaven with his saints. And he's going to come down to the earth and he will take vengeance and righteousness will reign and evil will be destroyed. There will be the battle of, the Arm of Armageddon and evil forces will be subdued and Israel will be rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today we're going to speak a lot about this period called the tribulation. There likely is a period of time after the rapture of, church, of the church before the commencement of the tribulation. We don't know for sure, but if you put all the scriptures together, there needs to be enough time to have the temple rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. Because the events that are going to take place during the tribulation will involve the temple. So we don't know how long that's going to take. The temple, uh, there's material that's being gathered right now in the city of Jerusalem. Um, and that is underway. And that temple could be built at any time. The seven-year period of tribulation is known as Daniel's 70th week. We're going to read about it in Daniel chapter 9. It is seven years, one week, seven years of prophecy when horrific events are going to take place on this earth. Now, that period of time is going to be divided in two, in 42 months. So the first three and a half years will start off with relative peace and prosperity. And there will be this presentation of the Antichrist who will rise up with charisma. And he will, he will say that there's going to be peace and safety. And then the scripture says, sudden destruction will come upon them. The second half of these seven years, the last part of the tribulation is going to be horrific. Absolutely horrific. Catastrophic, natural disasters, violence, earthquakes. There is going to be many, many, many people killed. And the gospel will be preached through the tribulation, which is absolutely amazing. We're going to look at that. 
And at the end of these seven years, all the armies of the world are going to gather around Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is going to look like they're going to be totally devastated. And at the very last moment, Christ is going to come out of heaven, riding on a white horse, it says in Revelation chapter 20. And he will take vengeance on them that know not God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And those who have obeyed not the gospel, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, and they will be destroyed. And the righteous will inherit the kingdom, and they will go into the kingdom, and there will be a literal thousand-year millennium reign of Christ on the earth, and righteousness will reign. And at the end of that, Satan will be bound and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and righteousness will reign, and then after that, when the thousand years is up, Satan will be loosed. He will come back out of hell, and he will have strong powers again until eventually he is completely destroyed, and the Bible says that the earth will melt with fervent heat, the elements will be burnt up, and this earth that we live on today will be purged, and there will be no heaven and no earth for a, a period of time. And in that moment, there will be what's called the great white throne judgment. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the heavens and the earth fled away because there was found no place for them. And, and in the middle of I'm going to take it outer space. God Almighty has this great white throne, and he sets up a throne of judgment. And the dead that lived without Christ died in their sins and went to hell, will stand before God, and they will be judged out of the things that are written in the books. And whosoever's name was not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And righteousness will reign forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is a very quick overview of where we're going at 30,000 feet. Having said all of that, let's read from Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, and we're going to start reading at verse 7. And they asked him, saying, Master, when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said unto them, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, and will say, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not at once. And it says there in verse 10 that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in different places, and famines and pestilence and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be in heaven. 
Just drop down for the sake of time to verse 17. And ye shall be hated of all men for my sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience possess your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then know that its desolation is near. Verse 22, it says, For there are, for these are the days of vengeance, and all things which are written will be fulfilled. And if you drop down to verse 24, it says that they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That is a key phrase, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We are living in a parenthesis between Daniel's 69th week and Daniel's 70th week. And what Daniel, I'm going to read it in a second, was, was told by the angel Gabriel is a very specific prophecy. And, and basically what it has happened is Israel, because of their rebellion against God, was taken into captivity, and the Gentiles have been brought in. And from a, uh, B.C. 586, when they went into captivity, right through to the end of the tribulation, is called the times of the Gentiles. When God is working with the Gentiles, and Israel has been temporarily set aside until the fullness of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This is an amazing prophecy. And then it says, uh, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars upon the earth, distress of all nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves will be roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear are looking for those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then shall you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth near. Praise God. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 for a second. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel was praying and fasting and basically confessing the sins of the nation of Israel, what had happened here is Gabriel, the angel of God, in the form of a man, came to visit Daniel. I'm going to read it out of the ESV because it's a little bit easier to understand. Daniel chapter 9 and... Verse 20, Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before God, before my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came unto me. And this is what he says, verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. That is a direct prophecy of the cross. 
that the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and he was going to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, and atone for iniquity to bring everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit to, the, to anoint the most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. For 62 weeks it had built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who has come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's in reference to the tribulation, the seven years. And half of the week shall he put an end to the sacrifice and an offering. So that is in reference to the abomination of desolation. And we're going to look at that real quick. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's read a couple of verses in Zechariah chapter 14. If you turn over to Zechariah 14... It says, verse 1, Behold the day of the Lord. That's the tribulation. This is in reference to the day of vengeance of God. Behold the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, to the city, and it shall be taken. And the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and shall fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Catch this. And his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives. That picture that I just showed you is the exact spot where the Lord Jesus Christ will come back out of heaven and he will descend to the earth and, and watch what it says. His feet will touch Mount Olive and it will cleave. It will basically separate. There'll be like a, a massive earthquake in the midst, the east toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove towards the north and half towards the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach uh, as L. I'll just drop down to verse 7. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there will be one Lord and his name one. I want to take you quickly through the chronological sequence of events that we've just read about. So I don't think it's a surprise to anybody to suggest that I believe it's very evident we are living in the last times. Now, no one can say 
when the coming of the Lord will be. We are prohibited in Scripture to set a date or a time. No one knows. But we can look at the world today and the signs that we see, and we can tell from what we read in Scripture, we are living in the character of end times. Deception, destruction, immorality, violence, and there is a rise up of what I believe is the new world order. I believe that the pandemic, COVID-19, is a catalyst, a backdrop of ushering in a new world order. We're living in a world where government is seizing control, where there is going to be a socialistic platform, where they are talking about taking funds from the rich, giving to the poor, and having universal basic income where government controls. That is just before what will happen so that the the Antichrist will rise up on a platform like this and the mark of the beast will be ushered in. You know, if you look today at um, the World Economic Forum, where, where United Nations is going, where our government and other G7 governments are going, they are ushering in what is definitely a new world order. Now, the scripture doesn't specifically speak about that, but what it does speak about is the rise of the Antichrist. I believe that before this will happen, the church will be raptured, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, and we will be brought up into the Father's house. Now, I want to stop and give you a couple of very specific reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Many Christians today don't believe in that. And there is a popular doctrine that is rising up of amillennialism where they don't see a future for Israel and they don't see the rapture of the church. And so I'm challenged myself to say, can I search the scriptures and be confident that there is a pre-tribulation rapture? And I have come to the conclusion that there is, and I want to share that with you. Why do I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Well, first of all, John chapter 14, Jesus said something very remarkable. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, where's that? That's the Father's house. That is what we know of as heaven. Where I am, there you will be also. So how can we be on earth and in heaven in the Father's house at the same time? We can't. So if Christ is coming out of heaven in 2 Thessalonians 1 with his saints, the saints obviously have to be in heaven before they can come out of heaven. So if we don't get raptured and go to heaven then the other option is we are here on earth through the seven years tribulation. But John 14 says a specific promise. He's going to come and take those who believe in him into the Father's house. Second reason that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9. 
In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, it says that you who believe in Christ are to wait for his Son from heaven who shall deliver us from the wrath which is to come. What is the wrath to come? I believe it's the tribulation. And I believe that that is a specific promise that as we wait for the Lord to come, he's going to deliver us from the wrath which is to come. Let's go a little bit further than that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. The context is the tribulation. The context of this passage is the day of the Lord, the tribulation. And here's what it says in verse 9. It says, the Lord has not appointed us to wrath, but we are delivered from the wrath which is to come. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9 makes it clear that he's not appointed us who believe in the Lord Jesus to be exposed to this. We, the church, will be delivered out. Let's go a little bit further. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. A very specific promise to the church at Philadelphia. He says, you've been faithful. You've kept my word. You've been patient. He said, I also will deliver you. I will spare you. I will take you out of the hour of trial that will try the whole earth. What is that? That's a tribulation. And here is a specific promise, likely the clearest of all. Revelation 3 and verse 10, a promise from God that those who believe in him in this age, he will take out of, he will deliver from this hour of trial, this, this great tribulation that's going to try the whole earth. Now, the specific context of the Greek word, as I understand it, means that he will not help you through it, but he will deliver you out of it. Let's go a little bit further. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. John, he hears this voice, and, and the voice is, come away, come up to heaven. What is this? This is a foreshadow, a veiled revelation, you might say, of the church. What does it say? He hears the voice, and he hears a trumpet. What do you get in 1 Thessalonians 4? You get the voice of the archangel of God and the trumpet. This happens at the rapture, at the rapture. So in, in Revelation 4 and verse 1, John hears the voice, and he hears the trumpet, and he is snatched away. He is caught up. That's a foreshadowing of the church that is taken up into heaven. Go a little bit further in that passage. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. It speaks about 24 elders. <laughs> Who are these 24 elders? I actually didn't know this until I studied this. I, I'm fascinated by this, and I owe a lot of this to John MacArthur. If you've got a John MacArthur study Bible, look at his notes. Incredible notes. John MacArthur says in Revelation 4 and verse 4 that these 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and uh, the 12 apostles. And this represents all the saints that are raptured at the church when it's raptured and they are in heaven. Well, what does it say about these 24 elders? It says that their robes are washed white. 
And it says that on their head are crowns of gold. What is that? That is, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, saved by the grace of God, and they have been rewarded for faithfulness to Christ, and they are sitting on the throne with Christ as heirs and joint heirs with God. That's an amazing picture of those of us that are saved in this dispensation, raptured and in heaven, witnessing the horrific events that are going on in the Great Tribulation. I have to hurry. The Great Tribulation will be absolutely horrific. It will be the worst religious deception. It will be the worst persecution, the worst natural disaster that anyone has ever seen. And Jesus made that clear in Matthew 24, that this great tribulation, it will be as not has been seen since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. Daniel's 70th week, I need to explain this. Um, what we read in, in Daniel chapter 9 was this seven years of tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. Why is that? Because it's in reference to the pain, the suffering, and the horrific scourging that Israel as a nation will experience during this great tribulation. It's, it's referred to in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. It is referred to in Scripture as the day of the Lord, and it is described as a day of vengeance. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5 and 2 Thessalonians 2 describes the day of wrath as a day of vengeance. So what will happen in those seven years tribulation? Well, first of all, there will be the rise of the Antichrist. This is a man with charisma. This is a man who is a military leader. And, and there will likely be the financial and social collapse of a world that is in dire straits, and I think that we're getting pretty close to that right now. There will be one man that will rise up and he will have the answers. And it's very possible that he will come from the revived Roman Empire. Possibly this man will come out of Roman Catholicism. Could be the Pope. We have no idea who exactly it's going to be. But this man will rise up on the world stage with all the answers. And he is going to do something that I believe will be the trigger of the starting point of the tribulation. He's going to sign an international peace treaty with Israel. And you get that from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. It's called the covenant. And he's going to rise up and say, I'm going to protect Israel. I'm going to have all the answers. There's going to be peace and safety and security. And everybody will just fall into that. Oh my goodness, this is what we need. Israel's been crying for peace for years and years and years. And, and we, we, you know, we, we can't even face our day-to-day -day dilemmas. There's going to be massive struggles, and this man is going to rise up. Now, part and parcel of his presentation is he's going to have all the answers. He's going to fix all the problems, but you need to take his mark. And there's going to be the mark of the beast, which is referred to in Revelation 666, the number of the beast. And then there will be this this veiled worship that will initially come in very subtly. And what will start off as peace and safety 
there will be sudden destruction that will come upon them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks so clearly of this sudden destruction that will come upon them. Now, during the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls that will be opened in heaven. And if you read in Revelation 5, 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see what happens. When, when in heaven, there is this rolled up seal, and it's rolled up and sealed seven times. And there's no one in heaven that's worthy to open this seal. And then comes the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, crowned with glory and honor. And he takes that scroll. And that is really the title deed to earth. No one is worthy to hold the title deed to earth. But the one who owns it all begins to open the scrolls. And catastrophic events happen. And as he opens one scroll after another, judgment falls on the earth. And there's violence. And there's pestilence. And there's famine. And people are, are slaughtered. And it is absolutely a horrific scene. When those seven seals are finally opened, the last one unveils seven trumpets. And those trumpets are opened and there is escalating violence and, and more disaster and more catastrophic events that are happening. And the world is being plummeted and the sun is changed and the moon is changed and, and, and meteorites fall from the sky. And there is a third of the world's population are going to die during that period of time. And then Jesus made this very, very, very clear. At the midpoint of tribulation, the peace treaty is going to be broken. And there is going to be the abomination of desolation. What in the world is that? I'm going to tell you what it is. This man who makes this peace treaty with Israel... He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry. And Israel will flock to this man. The temple will have been built, and, and Jewish sacrifices are going to start to occur again. They're going to go back to their traditions. I believe that the Bible teaches there will be blood sacrifices in the temple. And they are going to continue their ritual of worshiping. But now the Antichrist comes on the scene, and he moves into the temple. And in the very holy of holiest, he sets up an idol. And the idol is the image of Antichrist. And when Jesus said in Matthew 24, that just as Daniel the prophet prophesied, when you see the abomination of desolation, know that the end is near. And so the Antichrist goes into the temple and he sets up this image. The image is of the Antichrist. And he introduces this world religion. And the world religion is, you must bow and worship the Antichrist. And, and Israel is devastated because he moves into the holy place and he sets up an idol. An abomination is, is simply blasphemy and desolation simply means ruin. And so there are many abominations. All sexual immorality in the eyes of God is an abomination. Idolatry is an abomination. But this is a very specific abomination that brings desolation. And so when this Antichrist goes into the temple and, and says worldwide, everybody's got to worship him, and desecrates the temple, 
Israel is completely offended. The peace treaty is broken, and the devastation begins to bring. And if you look at Matthew 24, it says, then will you see all the armies of the nations will gather around Israel. And you might say, well, hasn't that happened already? Yeah, but not like this. Because the very next verse says, and then shall all the things written be fulfilled in the vengeance of the wrath of God. Now, while this is all going on, I find this absolutely fascinating. The gospel is being preached throughout the whole world. There will be what I understand as a grand finale of evangelism. There will be revival during the tribulation like the world has never seen. More people will get saved in the tribulation than at any other time in history. God will raise up 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And God will have two incredible witnesses, Revelation chapter 11. And during this period of time, you've got the Antichrist who's selling this world religion that everybody must worship him. You have horrific events of the unfolding of the seals and the trumpets of God, and the, the earth is being pummeled with judgment. And you have 144,000 going through the whole world saying, don't believe in the Antichrist. Repent of your sin. The king is coming. Believe in Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Don't take the mark of the beast. Rebel against this man. And so you have these massive colliding of the forces of evil. These two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 are fascinating. Now, we don't know who they are, but some people think John MacArthur suggests that they are Moses and Elijah. And they are given supernatural powers. They can do miracles, and they have incredible power to preach the gospel. And they are in the very epicenter of the world, which is Israel. And, and while this abomination of desolation is going on, they are in the streets preaching the gospel of the kingdom, turning people away from the Antichrist that says he is God and must worship, everybody must worship him. And in the middle of all of that, the, the Antichrist is given power to come out and he slaughters these two witnesses. And they are killed. And they lie in the streets of Jerusalem. If you think I'm making this up, read it. It's in, it's in Revelation chapter 11. They're lying in the streets. Nobody will bury them. Nobody touches them. Their corpse begins to rot. Three and a half days. And God Almighty sends the breath of God into their lungs and they rise up. And they are resurrected. And the whole world sees this. Now, it says really clearly that at that time, the whole world will hear the gospel. Matthew chapter 24 says the gospel will be preached unto the whole world. Revelation 11 to 13 shows it very clearly, whether it's by satellite, whether it's by iPhone, I don't know how it's going to happen, but the whole world is going to hear the gospel. And at that time, there will be a great division between Israel. There will be Israel that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, turns from their sin, and trusts in Jesus Christ as the king that is coming, and there will be those in Israel that will follow the Antichrist, and power will be given unto the Antichrist to slaughter 66% 
of the Jews living in Israel. Now, I didn't know that until last week. And you can read this in Zechariah 13 and verse 8. Zechariah 13 and verse 8 says, During that time, two-thirds of the people living in Israel will die. Two-thirds. There's probably uh, 8 million Jews living in Israel today. During the time of the tribulation, two-thirds of them will be put to death. Why? Because they have rejected their Messiah. Now, in all of that backdrop, you think about Isaiah 53. And they are reading Isaiah 53. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But, here's one of the great buts of Scripture. But, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment, the chastisement of our peace was laid on him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And those, that remnant of the nation of Israel that believe unto him, will have renewed understanding of Isaiah 53 that they don't even believe today. They take it right out of their book. And they will understand this is God's Messiah. And he is coming to rescue Israel. That is absolutely fascinating and amazing. And I got to run. Um, okay, so what's happening to us during this time? We're in the Father's house, and rewards are given out um, for the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. And faithfulness to God in this age, the day of grace, will be rewarded in that day by the Lord Jesus Christ giving out rewards. We get seven rewards, crowns that are gone through the New Testament, and I don't have time to deal with them, but you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 5. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. And simultaneously, while this catastrophic war is going on on earth, we are in heaven, worshiping God, singing praise unto the Lord who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we are literally enamored with the glories of God. And I believe that that will be the fulfillment of John chapter 17 when the Lord said, Father, I will that all they who believe in me will be with me that they may behold my glory. We're going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus. We're going to behold his glory. We're going to see his majesty. And then, and then, we are going to come out of heaven. We're going to come with Christ to reign on the earth. And he comes out of heaven. I, I wish I had more time. I don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. In the day when God comes to take vengeance on a world that doesn't know God. That's the world that we're living in right now. On people that have rejected the gospel. Not obeyed the truth that they might be saved. And had pleasure in unrighteousness. In that day, he's coming out of heaven with his saints and his mighty angels. And he will come down to the earth and he will take vengeance on them that know not God and have obeyed not the gospel. What's going to happen then? The battle of Armageddon is going to take place. The nations of Israel are going to be battling 
with all the nations of the world, the armies are going to be gathered around Jerusalem, and they're going to be backed up from the city of Jerusalem to the plains of Megiddo. Do you know how far that is? It's 70 miles. From the city of Jerusalem to the valley of the plains of Megiddo. And in that plain, there's going to be the battle of Armageddon. I don't know how this is going to happen, but it, it is absolutely amazing. Let me just describe to you what that's going to be like. This is what's called the appearing, the parousia. And it literally means the visible presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So up until this point, the world has not seen him. The last time they seen him, he was on a cross. But those of us who are saved have been with him in heaven. Now we're coming out and Jesus is going to be unveiled, presented to the world. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 1. Every eye will see him. And all the nations of the world will wail because of him. He is coming in power and great glory. That's what he said to Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin. He said, after this, you will see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. What's it going to be like? It's going to be like lightning that flashes across the sky. It's going to happen in power and great glory. And if you read about it in Revelation chapter 19, here's a vision. He's on a white horse. There are many crowns on his head. His name is written on his garments. His garments are white linen. And on his garments, on his vesture, and on his thigh is a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And at that moment, when every eye will see him, he's going to come back. His feet's going to hit Mount Olivet. Okay, we read about it in Zechariah 14. Mount Olivet splits open. There's a massive earthquake and living waters gush out. And that fresh water flows all the way down to the Dead Sea. It's 38 miles from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. 38 miles. There's an earthquake, Mount of Olive splits. Water comes in. It's living water, and it's going to feed a Dead Sea. Right now, nothing grows in the Dead Sea. It's just full of liquid salt. It's going to be fresh water. And if you read about it in Ezekiel 47, it says all sorts of fish and plant life are going to exist in the Dead Sea in that day. He's on a white horse. He, he comes with his garments that are dipped in blood, and he will judge the world in righteousness. You remember what it said in Acts chapter 17 when, when Paul is preaching on Mars Hill? He says, God has commanded that all men everywhere repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by that man that he has ordained. This is the day when Christ comes out of heaven to take vengeance on all those that don't know God, and it's the battle of Armageddon. It's called the Supper of the Great God. The armies of Satan are destroyed he has a sharp sword that comes out of his mouth and he smites the nations and all those that oppose God and worship the beast are totally destroyed. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords. And the beast and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. Now, the antichrist and the false prophet are two different men, just in case you didn't understand that. 
The Antichrist is the lawless man. He's a political military leader. But the false prophet is a religious man. And he comes with religious subtlety. And they are both empowered by Satan until Christ comes back and destroys them. And then you have the judgment of the living nations that takes place in Matthew 25. The wicked are judged, sent to eternal punishment, and the righteous are given the entrance into the kingdom. And Christ walks through the eastern gate. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can see the eastern gate. It's absolutely beautiful. Two arcs, and it's standing there. He's going to go through the eastern gate, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to reign. And all of us that have believed in him are going to be with him in that day, and we are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years, and righteousness will reign, and evil will be put down, and sin will be judged immediately. At the end of those thousand years, there's going to be the great white throne judgment. Those that have died in their sins in this age have gone to hell. Hell is like a prison house. They are held there for at least a thousand years. At the end of the millennium, all that are in hell are going to be raised out of hell to stand before the great white throne. And that will be the day of eternal judgment. When every person, some of these people have been in hell for two, three, four, five thousand years. They are going to be raised up and they're going to stand before God and God is going to justly judge them. And then he's going to cast them into eternal fire, the lake of fire, which is the second death, and that is unending eternal punishment. There will be then, the earth will be purged with fire, 2 Peter chapter 3, the new heavens and the new earth, and it will be the day of God. And we will live and reign with Christ forever. I'm done. Let me just close this with two quick comments. If you're sitting here today and you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a very bright future. You're going to reign with Christ. You're going to see his glory. You're going to visit Jerusalem. Whether you, you do it in this life or not, you're going to be there. You're going to be in the, in, in the millennium, and you're going to reign with Christ. And it doesn't matter how bad this world gets, how big your troubles are, how, how terrible your trials or distress are. You have a bright future because you have trusted Christ. But let me tell you something. If you're here today or you're listening to this message and you're outside of Christ and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've never repented of your sins, this is your wake-up call. Get ready to meet God because he's coming and he will take vengeance on all them that have obeyed not the gospel. This is possibly one of your last and final warnings. You need to get ready to meet God, because he's coming, and he will judge the world in righteousness. It's going to happen. Today, you have an opportunity to surrender your life to God. Bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Receive him in your heart as your personal Savior, and appreciate personally that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins. He shed his blood to forgive you, and he offers you salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to look at the scriptures. And Lord, we, we marvel at the grace of God, the power and majesty of your coming. We look forward to a day when we will reign with Christ. We just pray that you would help us, Lord, as we go away to keep these things in our hearts and to study the word and to be encouraged to walk with you until traveling days are done. And we just commit us to you and thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that we have in Christ and ask your blessing upon everyone gathered here today in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.